0: China and the United States, consider just one set of statistics. The United States Navy now numbers some 290 Battle Force ships, and the Biden administration's 2023 budget would shrink that number still further. The Chinese Navy, by 2025, just a couple of years from now, it is expected to number 400 ships. Should we be worried? Strategists Dan Blumenthal and Elbridge Colby on Uncommon Knowledge Now. Welcome to Uncommon Knowledge. I'm Peter Robinson shooting today at the Hoover Institution offices in Washington, DC. Director of Asian Studies at the American Enterprise Institute, Dan Blumenthal earned his undergraduate degree at Washington University his master's at Johns Hopkins, and his law degree at Duke. During the administration of President George W. Bush, he served in the Department of Defense. Dan Blumenthal's most recent book, The China Nightmare, The Grand Ambitions of a Decaying State. Founder of a new think tank, the Marathon Initiative, Elbridge Colby earned his undergraduate degree from Harvard and his law degree from Yale. During the administration of President Donald Trump, he served in the Department of Defense. Elbridge Colby's most recent publication, The Strategy of Denial, American Defense in an Age of Great Power Conflict. Dan, Bridge, welcome. Thank Mr. you. Peter. Uh, we'll come to strategy in a moment. But first, could I, could I ask a kind of threshold question? If China were to have its way, if President Xi Jinping were to attain every one of his aims, how would life in this country be different? What's in, what's in my mind here is that in the old days during the Cold War, we'd see newsreels of the Soviet Union and it was obviously grim and gray and people were trying to escape all the time from Eastern Europe. We had some sense that whatever it was, we didn't want it. But China, we buy our toys from China. They make wonderful electric vehicles. They seem technologically advanced. They've produced riches and great companies. If they got what they wanted, how would our lives be different, Dan?
1: Well, first of all, the world itself would be a much more authoritarian, corrupt, and dictatorial place. So it wouldn't be a welcoming place for Americans uh, you know, who cherish their freedoms and their liberties and so on. The, the Chinese would enforce their will, as they've done in Hong Kong and other places, to make more countries uh, authoritarian and dictatorial. Second of all, we would be locked out uh, of many of the economic arrangements uh, inside the East Asian area, which, is, uh, which parts of it have the potential to really boom and, and really be the future of, uh, of economic activity throughout the world. And third of all, uh, our military would be reduced to uh, probably defending around our hemisphere and be locked out of having access to East Asia. We've really needed access to East Asia to secure ourselves since the end of uh, World War II. So at these these three levels, I think the world would be uh, a lot more difficult and challenging for the United States.
0: Uh, So over in your neighborhood in Northern Virginia, people at the State Department and Treasury Department who are running top country would no longer be running the top country. Would ordinary Americans feel poorer?
2: Well, yeah. Yeah.
0: what difference would it make to ordinary people?
2: I think it would be a very profound change, and I think Americans would be poorer and less free. And the reason is I think that even a modest conception of what Xi Jinping, and not just Xi Jinping as a person, but Beijing as a, as a state, and I think a great number of Chinese people are pursuing in the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation, is a hegemonic or dominant position. Not imperial like in the old days, but a kind of soft control over first Asia, which as Dan rightly pointed out, is going to be the world's largest market area, upwards of 50% and growing in share. So it would would orient the world's largest economic area around itself. So it would have the best universities. Its treasury department would enforce sanctions against everybody its companies would become the world-beating one, its stock exchange would be the world's best, its currency would ultimately supply the dollar. What would that mean for Americans? Well, first of all, we know we would become a lot poorer because the Chinese would gatekeep that large economic area, not only against Americans, but also against Europeans and Middle Easterners and Latin Americans who would be essentially forced to play ball in the same way that today many company, many countries play ball with our sanctions even though they don't want to. What would that mean? It would mean that Americans would become a lot poorer because our companies, our institutions, our educational institutions, Stanford University would no longer be one of the top universities over time, et cetera. And then we would become less free, why? Because if we don't have economic control or at least a significant amount of control over our own destiny and we're becoming poorer, The issues are going to be settled even like down to your employment is going to be settled ultimately in beijing so my favorite example of this is social media companies today we have a lot of debates in our country about social media companies i have a lot of concerns about them but we all are assuming that the issues can be solved in washington or sacramento or albany or whatever that wouldn't be the case anymore and they would be instead settled in beijing either directly or indirectly and so you know our speech and so forth and today the Chinese are talking about Xinjiang or Hong Kong or Taiwan. But we know it's human nature, and we've seen this with the Chinese, their ambitions and their demands would expand and escalate.
0: Okay, so that's the next question. What what are the outer limits of what China wants? Strategy of denial, quote, China has a potent interest in establishing hegemony over Asia. All right, and then comes the China nightmare. You're writing here about a report that Xi Jinping delivered to the Communist Party in 2017 and here you begin by quoting China expert Peter Mattis the document Xi Jinping's document mentions mankind 14 times and global and world appear a combined 54 times and then you yourself write the goal for the Middle Kingdom is to dominate global politics now if a great big rich China wants to dominate its own region that's one thing but if they're closer to it seems mad to us now that the Soviet Union, now that Russia is such a basket case, that the Soviet Union, that communist ideology really, truly called for worldwide revolution. But it did. And so it's a different matter altogether if what they want is to dominate the planet. Which is it? We can live with that. We okay. can't live with that. I don't think we can. live You can't think live with either. We
1: can't live with either, <coughs> because East Asia is just so fundamentally important for U.S. national security. So, East Asia itself is—you're talking about massive economies: Japan, Taiwan, South Korea, the growing economies of the Philippines, uh, Vietnam, Indonesia. That's that's a massive population right there. Parts of India, but. What Xi Jinping is doing is challenging us everywhere all the time, and he is very clear that this is a global struggle. He is uh, supporting Russia, completely supporting Russia in its war against Ukraine. Without Chinese uh, economic, wherewithal without Chinese economic support, uh, Russia would probably not be able to keep carrying out this war in Europe. So he's supporting Russia. He's supporting Iran now. Uh, Iran exports more oil to uh, China than to any other country. It is Iran's top trading partner. Uh, He's looking to build bases around, uh, around the Gulf. He wants to challenge the United States. Xi Jinping will not be satisfied that he is safe and secure. As he told Vladimir Putin, unless the world order fundamentally changes. He believes the United States is implacably hostile, ideologically hostile, trying to throw the Communist Party out of power, and unless the United States is a second or third tier power, he won't be safe.
0: So, what is in this man's head? The two models seem to be, um, he's he's an emperor, He's, he's operating in the ancient Chinese imperial tradition or he's a communist. And you, Dan say in the China nightmare, the CCP is no longer a communist revolutionary party, close quote. On the other hand, Little Robinson, doing my research, discovered that shortly after becoming General Secretary, Xi Jinping gave a speech to the party in which he said, quote, there are people who believe that communism is an unattainable hope, but facts have repeatedly told us that Marx and Engels analysis is not outdated. Capitalism is bound to die out, close quote. Okay, so the background here is, Deng Xiaoping decides to open the country, open markets a little bit, at least, in 78, 79. And within the order that the United States established after the Second World War, the trading order, the notion of free markets, China flourishes as it never has in its history Why isn't it delighted? They've they've brought hundreds of millions of their own population out of real abject poverty. There are still hundreds of millions to go. But it's a different nation altogether. And that has happened because of free markets and in this world of free trade according to rules, looser rules, tighter rules as you interpret them, that were established by the United States and its allies after the Second World War. is it communist ideology that, forced, that requires him to view this as a threat when in fact they've benefited from it? Is it the old imperial, what the, what is going on? Why aren't they happy with the world order? Do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, go for well, it.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, first, w- one thing I'd like to say, I think it's really important when we talk about this issue that we clarify <coughs> between the stakes that are at issue versus kind of what this, the strategic uh, question is. And right. so to your earlier question, Peter, and I I think I agree with Dan, the stakes are global, but the strategy is about, primarily about Asia. And this gets back to something Winston Churchill very memorably said, I think it was at the beginning of World War I, he said, look, Europe is the decisive theater. If we get things right there, we can put everything else right again. Because he recognized through both world wars, as did (laughs) we, that if if you defeated the Germans, which at the time, Europe was the world's largest market area, it controlled vast, vast empires through its various countries. If you got things right there, you could set other things right again. Mm-hmm. So Asia, as Dan I think was alluding, is the decisive theater, but the implications will be global. What I would say is that we could survive in that world, but if you go back to the Federalist Papers and the whole tradition of the American Republic, we ain't just looking for like the bare minimum. We want a country in which people can flourish and grow and become prosperous and confident, and that creates a certain kind of culture, et cetera, et cetera. That is elemental to the American Republic, and that is what is at jeopardy in a way that is actually far greater in scale than even the Axis powers. China, relative to the US economy today, is larger than the three Axis powers were in say okay. 1942, so, so very so, significant.
0: So, so, so but back to Xi Jinping, yeah. why, isn't he, why isn't he delighted with the well, world I think a, as it stands?
2: A couple things, one, gratitude is not often found as an enduring, as the Austrians once said, we will shock the world by our ingratitude. So that's something to bear in mind. Also the mindset that the Chinese have in their perception, and I think it is true that Xi Jinping himself is a dedicated Marxist-Leninist in some way. But look, the fundamental... He is a communist. I think so, but the fundamental project that he has embarked upon is the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation, which not only is not Marxist, but is actually, in some sense... It's, it's actually fundamentally different than Marxism. It's something closer to nationalism. Here's what I'm afraid of, Peter, and this is what I, the way I try to approach it in my book. We can kind of um, paint Xi Jinping and Beijing in the most sort of lurid, and sort of negative light, but I actually think it it helps from a strategic perspective to almost give them the benefit of the doubt. And the the thing that I fear is that China actually has very strong potent incentives to create what I think of as the secure geoeconomic sphere because they don't think we're a bunch of nice guys. As Dan rightly pointed out and the Wall Street Journal just reported, they think of us as an existential threat. They think that we, Uh, you know, did nuclear blackmail, that we uh, tried to divide them, that we've tried to exploit them, going back to the opium wars and the Boxer Rebellion. They think of the world, they think of the experience of the last 200 years, the Chinese leadership certainly, and I think a lot of Chinese people, as an incredibly terrible experience in which they were ruthlessly exploited by foreigners, Westerners, Japan, Japan, etc. And so they have to be strong and dominant to be secure. That is not just Xi Jinping. I think that's a common... View, I was struck a few years ago when I was in Beijing talking to a PLA officer. I said, who do you think is the greatest Chinese leader? I thought he might say Sun Yat-sen. He said, no, Mao Zedong, because even though he made mistakes and he did some bad things, he was the one who got up at the Proclamation of the People's Republic and said China has stood
1: up. Well, let me just, so ideologically, Xi Jinping is very afraid of the United States. Uh, he constantly talks about Can
0: the you, fact- you guys keep telling yeah. me that they view us as a as yeah. great threat. You have yet to name a reason that sounds plausible sure. to me. Sure. So I mean, so far it sounds to me as though this is a, some kind of delusion. They, th- they well, have, they've, they've, they've yeah. thrived. So, well,
1: if you're so, if you are uh, taking over the Chinese Communist Party in 2012, right. uh, when it looks like the party is experiencing a near-death experience uh, because there's a succession crisis, there was a succession crisis in 2012 one of Xi Jinping's rivals, a man named Bo Xilai, uh, tried to grab power in, in ways that didn't comport with the rules inside the communist system. Um, and Xi Jinping decided that the party had become lax in its discipline, that it was uh, too polluted with Western ideas, that it was too culturally open to, to Western thought.
0: Can I stop, communism is a Western idea.
1: Right. To Western so, liberal ideas, all right, uh, to to liberal democracy, all right, uh, and he made a speech, and famously, as I have in my book, a, a circular, a document called Document Nine was circulated as as soon as he was uh, ascended to power, saying, "Look, we have about eight or nine things that we have to absolutely stamp out: uh, cultural influence of America and Western Europe, intellectual influence, political influence. We're getting weak as a party." And most importantly, this is how Gorbachev lost control of the Soviet Union. Xi Jinping does study sessions about how Gorbachev lost control of the Soviet Union. His conclusion was that that Perestroika and other reforms of the kind that China was already doing then led to the political destruction of the Soviet Communist Party. He said, not on my watch, never. And he went into a a full-blown ideological crusade to make the party so-called red again, more communist. Although, as you point out, and as Bridge points out, huge contradiction because the project is essentially nationalist, national rejuvenation, national greatness. It's dressed up in Marxist-Leninist language.
0: All right, um, hard power. As I understand it, China has invested in two basic areas. We're talking about military now. Its own navy from the China nightmare, China has launched more submarine surface warships, amphibious assault ships, and auxiliary vessels than the total number of ships currently serving in the navies of Germany, India, Spain, Taiwan, and the United Kingdom combined. Um, China's second major investment, forces uh, forces capable of destroying our naval vessels, ship-killing missiles, essentially. Again, from Dan's book, China's massive arsenal of theater ballistic missiles now poses a costly and vexing challenge for Pentagon planners." Close quote. Uh, they want us out of the Pacific? Is it as simple as that?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, we can argue about intent. I would, I would, uh, I, I would point out to you a concrete historical example that I think has bearing, which is, was it rational? It you was know, sort of in an optimal, kind of from a liberal point of view, for the Japanese to attack the United States and the European colonial powers? at the end of 1941, while well, they did so for reasons that are not dissimilar, which is the creation of a secure geoeconomic sphere and the perception that we were actually trying to strangle them. There are real echoes, but not to say that it's an exact analogy, but strict rationality in sort of neoclassical economic terms is not how countries often behave. So one of the most important things, and I'm glad we're turning to hard power, so because- can, can
0: I, yeah. So FDR was trying to deprive the Japanese of oil. Oil, which was critical, it's an archipelago, right? Right. And- we're trying to deprive them of what? Well, Xi
2: Jinping apparently, according to... Uh, uh, it, it, they think that they we think... are
0: trying to contain and
2: suppress them. When Lloyd Austin asked Li Shang-Fu for a meeting at uh, the Shangri-La conference and they turned him down, he said, you are trying to contain and suppress us, and according to the Wall Street Journal, Xi Jinping personally uses the term strangling, that we are trying to suppress their growth. Now, we can argue about whether... I was actually in a uh, meeting with some very senior sort of... Can ret- I, you know, a-
0: every time you guys say... This well, is what they think. This is the way they see it. This well, we're is are putting semiconductor. It's crazy. Jake Sullivan.
2: It's crazy did, talk. It, it's not crazy. It's, it's not, not crazy. It's not
0: crazy because we are trying to decouple, and
2: we are tr- leveling things like semiconductor sanctions and shifting our economic policies and our international relations. Towards, I mean, there, there is, is the Wall Street is, Journal's reporting that there's is a block This is ridge. the policy
0: of only the last few years. It's clearly in well, but what's the trajectory? Buildup of there.
2: Well, it? I mean, they
0: they would say that you know uh, now ahead. we're. I want to turn you into a China apologist. <laughs> I keep going, well, keep I don't. Going I mean, rich. I don't keep think it's rich. actually
2: totally an apologist <clears> in the sense that the current administration seems to kind of want to have it both ways, and right. they're vacillating a bit. I'm not sure how far they're going to go, but I think even a left wing Democratic administration is basically saying. Now, they're calling it de-risking, but obviously the Chinese don't believe us. I mean, if you look at their Ministry of State Security statement uh, in in the fall of 2023, they're saying, we don't believe you, right? So they're looking at what we're, and they're looking at the national conversation and where things are going. There's strong support for decoupling. European countries and others are shifting away. So again, if you go back to what are the fundamental stakes for China, if it's a secure geoeconomic sphere, Uh, A good friend of mine, Dale Copeland, at the University of Virginia, and if you go back to the work of, like, Robert Gilpin, I think the most compelling scholarship about why wars often happen is a fear of economic slowdown. And if you think back to what Xi Jinping's incentives are, they do have to grow. This is the basic bargain of the Communist Party. He has to keep it up. He has to get any government has to keep growing. So it's not, I'm not saying that they're justified, just as I wouldn't say the Japanese were justified. But if we're thinking about it from a strategic point of view, we have to take that in mind. Now, that's what they care about, in my view. The means for them to pursue those goals are going to be military. So the way I would think about it, from a hard power point of view, is I wouldn't quite make the division the way you did. They used to have a military that was basically confined to what you would call territorial defense. Right. Now they are not only developing a military very, very clearly that is oriented on solving the Taiwan problem, but is also clearly for what's called power projection. Think of a military like our own. Now the Chinese will sometimes say, "Well, you're being hypocrites," but they used to say we don't want that kind of thing. And the thing about what that tells you is military force development is perhaps the most revealing um, uh, sort of piece of evidence for future Can, intent. May, may I
0: quote you to yourself? Yeah. Actually, I want to. am okay. going to quote Bridge. Right. But then, then I'm going to you're ask you have you me answer. I'm okay. going <laughs> to have you answer. Yes, <laughs> sure. I am. Actually. I, I answer for Bridge. I right. okay. I, I will right. defer. <laughs> this is from Bridge's book, Strategy yeah. of Denial. Yeah. This is one of the most striking sentences in the book, I think. War is not just another province of human activity. I argue that military affairs, military affairs, are in important respects determinative. Do you buy that?
1: Determinative in international politics? Absolutely. And I would say that the Chinese don't just have a strategy to, to keep us out of Asia. They use their military every day, every day as we speak. They are intruding upon Taiwan's <coughs> airspace and Taiwan's maritime space. They are putting pressure on the Japanese in the Senkaku Islands to uh, uh, loosen Japanese control over their own administered islands. They are using force today, as we speak, in in the South China Sea to intimidate, to uh, make excessive claims. So they have this military. It's not just it's not just staying uh, in garrison. It's out every day shaping the region, intimidating the region. Trying to send a message to the region that the United States doesn't have the endurance or the staying power to defend these allies. They are, their grand strategy is one of coercion. It's it's one of military coercion, military intimidation, and one of economic coercion. So one of the things that they've been trying to do, and and let me just to, to your question before about uh, the economic dimension. Uh, we'll, We'll engage in a little bit of Freudian analysis. They are projecting onto us what they would do to us if they were in the position. So we caught them in 2015 and 2016 with these made in China 2025 plans with these massive industrial plans with massive industrial theft with state owned enterprises trying to get to the heights, uh, command of, of, of the commanding heights of the economy, to put enormous pressure to get it on top of our supply chains and semiconductors and pharmaceuticals, to be in a position where they have more economic leverage than we do. Xi Jinping makes speeches that says the economic containment was completely foreseeable, we're ready for it, and we're going to be in a position where we have more economic leverage over the United States than they do over us. And that's the game. So it's military coercion and possibly uh, preparation for warfare, if if that's what they decide to do to escalate their current military operations in all the regions I just mentioned, and it's economic coercion. And that's what we face on a daily basis.
0: Could you make a little mental note that before this is over, you need to cheer me up. Okay, sure. You got the wrong guys (laughs) for that. All All right, Taiwan, from Dan's book, The China Nightmare. Beijing is obsessed with national reunification. Taiwan is the last imperial, the last Qing dynasty territory that communist China has not managed to reconquer. Am I, I'm i sure I'm mispronouncing that. It's spelled Q Q-I-N- I Qing. Qing? Qing? Qing. Qing. Yeah. All right. Qing. Very light. Why, if I were in charge of transliteration, at least i get that part <laughs> okay. right. The Qing dynasty fell 110 years ago. Why does the CCP want Taiwan now?
2: Well, I would say there's fundamentally two reasons. One is is nationalist irredentism. And on that point, I would say it's easy for us who've had a great last century to sort of float kind of magnanimously above these kind of petty disputes. But if you're China, look, I I put something on uh, recently. I mean, if you were, let's say you were someone born in like the 1920s, you yourself would have needed to survive warlordism, civil war, uh, Japanese invasion, uh, Great Leap Forward, Cultural Revolution, et cetera, your parents <coughs> would have needed to survive the Boxer Rebellion, the Taiping Rebellion of the 19th century, I believe is the second costliest war in human history, or something like that. Most Americans have barely heard about it. So that's the experience, and a lot of that in the Chinese narrative, and there's not there's some reason for it, is foreign exploitation, going back to the opium wars and the exploitation of the weakness of the Qing. And so what you have is an nationalism, which, you know, in this sort of Western Europe is considered in bad odor, because they were the ones who imperialized everybody, right? But if you if you go to India, people are also very nationalistic, and proudly so, or Vietnam, and they remember the humiliations they suffered, and they, you know, first of all, they want to have a sense of justice, but more fundamentally, they don't want a repeat of that experience. So Taiwan is important in that context, and as the Chinese think about it, and I think this is genuinely felt, they do want to sort of end the civil war, rightly or not. More importantly, though, Taiwan is the critical way for them to pursue this geoeconomic sphere. They have to break out of the first island chain and they have to break apart what I call the anti-hegemonic coalition, which is clearly forming and is part of the containment narrative that the Chinese see. There There are elements of containment happening, Quad, AUKUS, the trilateral relationship with Japan and South Korea, the relationship with the Philippines, largely because of China's own behavior. But nonetheless, this is part of the tragedy of great power politics. But this is basically why they care about it. I mean, then you can add on the semiconductor issue. But we have you don't even need to get to that.
1: That's one more big, big issue. Taiwan is the only Chinese democracy uh, in the world. And this drives the Chinese Communist Party crazy. And <clears throat> they used to send, uh, before 2016, before the current leadership of Taiwan was elected, there would be tourists pouring into Taiwan from China. And China didn't like it because what would they do at night They would watch political TV shows, the raucous democracy of Taiwan, and they would enjoy it. (laughs) And uh, this is something they just cannot countenance. They've been telling people for so long that uh, democracy is chaotic, that democracy doesn't work. And guess (coughs) what? In Taiwan, it really does work. They're facing an an election in a few months. It's going to be another peaceful transfer of power. Uh, And uh, it's just something China cannot live with. And Taiwan
0: has gotten rich.
1: And Taiwan has gotten rich. That's right.
0: Okay, boys. Is it there are moments in this complicated world of ours when the problems facing this country are simple? The overwhelming challenge we face is standing up to the military and economic coercion, attempts by China to engage in military and economic coercion of us and of our allies. And the whole game right now is Taiwan. Fair.
1: I don't think the whole game is Taiwan. I think Taiwan is a is a critical part of the game. If we let Taiwan go to China, uh, as Bridge said, we would be in a disadvantaged position geographically. We would have lost in a democracy of 23 million people. We would have lost enormous credibility. We will. And lost if you're control. if you're
0: Japan and Japan, Japan and, Japan and, the and Vietnam and the Philippines and, the Philippines, and Australia, have you say to question the we alliance. better cut a deal with
1: these. I've people. been betting yeah. on the wrong. I've been betting on right. the wrong. Right. Uh, but Taiwan is extremely important. The, 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 the game is to restore our military deterrent capability, to undermine these Chinese coercion campaigns that are going on every day, uh, to uh, decouple such that we're not subject to China's decisions about what to cut us, what supply to cut us off from. Uh, certainly not to do what we're doing when it comes to, uh, let's say, green, the green supply chain right now, which is making ourselves more dependent on China. We're moving to an uh, electric vehicle supply chain that is almost completely dependent upon Chinese processing of rare earth metals.
0: Okay, so this brings us to the point that this man has been making on Twitter and everywhere he appears. Exactly. <laughs> um, the Russians invade Ukraine. We engage in a kind of slow motion escalation of our involvement. We give them more weaponry, we give them fun. Now we're up to Abrams tanks and the president is talking about cluster bombs, and we've given them, I don't remember the figures, but it is well into, it's the high double digit billions that we've already awarded them, and the administration wants triple. Triple. Already. Triple already, and the administration wants more. And Bridge Colby says, we are taking our eye off the ball here. Uh, We are, among other things, we are $19 billion behind in delivering to Taiwan weaponry and equipment for which Taiwan has already paid. That's one argument. The other argument is no, 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 no. If Xi Jinping sees us take our hands off Ukraine, he will conclude that that is the way we handle our allies and that will embolden him in Taiwan. The correct way to see Ukraine is as follows. The defense of Taiwan runs through Ukraine. I know where he stands. Where do you stand? You'll you'll get your chance. Okay.
1: The defense of Taiwan doesn't run through Ukraine. The defense of Taiwan runs through Taiwan. Those $19 billion in in backlog weapons Uh, some of those weapons are going to Saudi Arabia. Some of those weapons are going to places. This has to do with a security assistance system in the United States and a defense production system that's completely broken. It has less to do with with the Ukraine. But absolutely, if we... I don't even know how practically this would work. If we went to NATO and we said, I'm sorry, guys, we're done supporting the Ukraine, it would not only harm us with our global alliance system uh, and the Japanese... I would say I'm just back from Japan. I would say the single biggest transformative factor in Japanese uh, defense, the fact that they are modernizing their military in the ways that they are and scaling up their defenses because the Russians attacked Ukraine. They now believe that it's not abstract An authoritarian great power backed by China will go to war. So you don't have to hear it from me. You can hear from the Japanese, the Taiwanese, the South Koreans, the Australians. They all are backing resistance to Russian uh, aggression in the middle of Europe. It would be a catastrophe if we if, if we didn't uh, uh, continue to aid um, Ukraine, who is damaging an ally of ours without us paying anything in blood. Uh, but the Taiwan issue has got to be dealt with. That backlog has got to be dealt with. The most important thing in terms of Taiwan, though, at the end of the day, because China is so strong and can so overrun Taiwan, is our own ability to defend Taiwan, our own ability to keep open the sea lanes of communication. Taiwan can be cut off. And if we're not able <coughs> to, to uh, essentially provide Taiwan with assistance, there's not much Taiwan can do on its own. We have to be able. the The ball right now is is China's support of Russia in the Ukraine. The ball right now is China's support of Iran, uh, in the Middle East. And the ball right now is the fact that the Chinese are using their military every day, and we're not answering it in Taiwan, in the Philippines, and in Japan.
2: Well, look, Peter, and I know you. I have a lot of respect for your view and some of the people that you talk to, and <clears throat> I don't know, even know you. my view. I'm just giving yeah. you
0: different views. I, I'm waiting so, for the two So I think, I think I think we have to mind.
2: get super real here. So, so we are in an unprecedented situation where, for the first time in one hundred and fifty years, we are facing an economy that is roughly peer in size. So essentially, we can argue yeah, about the exact. That's not true. Well, okay.
1: I mean that, that part of it's not true.
2: Conventional yeah. assessment, certainly—it's by far the world's largest industrial power, for instance, which is what would be relevant for a war. I mean, I think that's indisputable. You grant that. It's the
1: second largest economy. It's a very important economy. It will remain the, times same. the shipbuilding it,
2: it, capacity it, of the United States, according to the Office yeah. of Naval Intelligence.
1: It'll remain the second largest economy for some time. So it's a very important. economy.
2: In any case, like it's much larger relative it, it, to the United yeah. States than any power we have faced, and it's been 150 years <clears throat> since we've had a rough peer. What is it that matters in dealing with China, and what is what is it that chi- how is China going to move? And the, it, it sounds old-fashioned. But it's really true. Let me. You, 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 you asked about war being determinative. You could quote Thomas, uh, Thomas Hobbes. Instead, I'll quote Mao Zedong. Power comes out of the barrel of a gun. The Chinese Communist Party will use decisive violence to resolve its issues when it can. That's how it defeated the KMT on the mainland. That's how it defeated in the, in the Civil Wars huge battles in Manchuria. How did it take over Hainan Island, another island off the Chinese coast, an invasion. They were preparing for an invasion. (coughs) They used direct military force against us in Korea, for instance, and what they're doing is preparing for military force. They ain't never gonna convince, it's clear as day, the people on Taiwan to give up because they're flying airplanes around or propaganda. In fact, it's gone the reverse. I mean, we'll see what happens in the election, but people think the KMT is like a pro-communist party. It's not true. There's no party on Taiwan that's really, that's like pro-CCP or pro-PRC, they're all varying degrees of some autonomy, even, the, you know, we can talk about the DPP, okay? So if China's gonna resolve it, which it has structural reasons to do so, and Xi Jinping has personally tied the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation to the Taiwan issue, they're gonna use military force. If they're gonna use military force, how are they gonna do it? Clear lesson of Ukraine, and it's very obvious, it goes back to Clausewitz: decisive military force. If you wanna take Vienna, take Vienna. We can argue about the blockade or whatever, but they're developing a military to take it over. What's gonna deter them? From doing that, it ain't gonna be hashtags like Ukraine flash ha- ha- flag hashtags. It's gonna be cold military steel. And the problem with what Dan is suggesting, a more moderate version, but what I hear from a lot of people, and I, I gotta make a plea to my fellow conservatives, but particularly the hawks, how can you be a hawk and not take military force and the military bound seriously? You worked for President Reagan. What did President Reagan do? He rebuilt the military force in the decisive theater after the loss of Vietnam. We can lose things, but he said, and you know him better than I do. I never met him, had the honor of meeting him, but you're going to get that right. And for people to say, oh, we, you know, we're doing all this, it's, it's fine, doesn't add up. Here's the thought experiment I have for you.
1: I don't think anyone's if
2: saying the that. Ch- sure, people are saying that all the time. Okay. People, that say- yeah, yeah. Yes, I mean, people it's are saying- fine? Yeah. It's not fine. No, no, it's no. no. Really not Leading fine. members of, of, of Republicans in Congress will say the military situation in the Pacific is, is adequate.
0: The, the, the military administration, administration is, is not The current, not the current administration's the, the budget calls for the Navy to yes. become, e- which is small now, to become even right. smaller. Up, right, where, where is 1600? Over there in 1600 yeah. Pennsylvania Avenue, they think in some fundamental way things are yeah. fine. So but me, let, me you, it, let me give you, right? let me
2: finish on, this, on yeah. this thought experiment, though, because I think it's yeah, very go ahead, go on ahead. the point that, say, Vice President Pence or Governor Haley will often make about this, the fate of Taiwan being resolved in Ukraine. Who cares more in the international system other than Taiwan about Taiwan the most? China. If that were true, China would directly intervene in the conflict because it cares more about Taiwan than anybody else. So if the Ukraine conflict were determinative of Taiwan, you would see direct Chinese intervention. Instead, <laughs> you see China acting exactly as I would expect, which is to stalemate and, and distract and corrode our stockpiles and our sense of political will. So the, and now you are starting to get, there was a big article in the New York Times in, in early November, Asian allies are starting to worry that the United States is being distracted. And the funda- the Rand Corporation over the summer said we are on track to lose a war over Taiwan. That's the reality. We need conservatives
1: and especially hawks to yeah. get real about that. <laughs> but I don't think I don't uh, so we uh, the Navy's absolutely too small. I've been ad- I've been a- arguing that since I did the first China military power report in 2002 to warn about the Chinese military modernization. The navy absolutely too small. We are not we are not answering China's everyday coercion of Taiwan. It's not just planes flying around, it's planes flying around and encroachment of maritime territory. The way they did the South Tennessee successfully was exactly what they're doing to Taiwan right now, piece by piece. The information operations on Taiwan on a daily basis are eroding the will of Taiwan. They're doing the same thing on the Philippines. They use decisive military force, sometimes in very different ways than we did. The last war they fought in 1979 was a tactical battlefield loss, but a strategic victory. That's the kind of thing they do. They punch people in the nose and lose tactically and still say that they won because they can come back. But uh, I, I'm certainly not arguing that we're prepared for a, for a China conflict. We're not, the problem with the Biden administration is that uh, we, have a world, we have a
0: world of war. Well, c- c- so yeah. let me come to that. Raphael Cohen, director of strategy and doctrine program at RAND. Mm-hmm. You guys all know each other. For years, American defense strategy argued that the United States should have sufficient military capability and capacity to fight and win two simultaneous wars in different theaters over the last decade though as america's military shrank in size and its adversaries grew increasingly capable the pentagon backed off such aspirations okay our forces are designed to conduct major operations in two theaters at best at best today well not they're not actually yeah okay. full
1: scale conflicts too no we haven't resourced it You're all right so it's that. so
0: not even two yeah we have ukraine and the North Atlantic. Mm-hmm. We have the Middle East. We have Israel and the Mediterranean. And we have and China we're not
1: attacking our forces. China and
0: the Pacific. We are, we are engaged in three theaters. That's right. This, this, yeah. Here's my little problem I come in from sunny California to Washington, and I get the feeling that we get the usual dysfunction here in Washington. The Republicans are screaming, and the Democrats are screaming this is serious unless i'm misreading it this moment is really really serious serious this is really serious what is happening in israel is would have been unthinkable on october 6 and it's happening the idea that russia would invade a european country would have been unthinkable the, the day before it happened and it is happening and now china has 400 ships and we're down to 290 I can remember on this program interviewing then former Secretary of Defense Bill Perry, who talked about sending a carrier group through the, the Taiwan Strait during the Clinton administration to demonstrate our support for we Taiwan. We would never
2: do that now because we would be too afraid I
0: talked it. to a retired admiral recently who said, oh, no, no, no. Our carriers must remain 1,000 exactly. miles away yeah. well, to, we, to we remain do safe. Send,
1: we, send, we send ships in through the Taiwan Strait all the time. Uh, more expendable uh, yeah. we, more we, we send, right. But we are in the most dangerous <laughs> yeah. moment. So, so, we're, so in a, we're in an incredibly dangerous moment, yeah. and we have failed to resource our strategy. But we are where we are now. We are where we are. We, we, are have we failed are. to resource our strategy. They, they, so it, so it, I have two questions. One yeah. is,
0: you you both work here. You're among yeah. the intellectuals who are. You're off stage. The members of Congress are on stage, but they're always turning around saying, "Blumenthal, did I get that right? Bridge, what about this?" Is this town serious it, it, do you feel a sense of seriousness descending that is adequate to the moment
1: absolutely not
0: <laughs> absolutely not no, absolutely
1: we're, we're in a world of warfare and we're not uh, on a war footing we're not on a, on a footing that is producing the kind of capabilities that the ukrainians need to get out of a stalemate we were piecemeal about it we the strategy if it had been faster and more decisive uh, we wouldn't be in this stalemate we're in a situation where Iranians are attacking U.S. forces. Where the Iranians can escalate at any moment. This is the world we live in. Where it's just impractical to think that we're going to be pulling out of those places because when we're under attack by the Iranians. Well, if we get punched in the face yeah. in a the decisive theater. Well, that's we, what we're we, have you to know, be. if we if we get punched in the face again, I suppose. Yeah, but a whole I mean, different. By but, Mike Tyson. But not by, but, uh, you know. but uh, well, the Russians are pretty close to Mike Tyson. Uh, one so, so, so 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 uh, so with with a with a. Fierce, fierce military, uh, you know, who's getting decimated by an ally willing to fight. Um, But uh, we are not serious and we have to get on a war footing. We have to resource our defense needs. We need to be present in the three major theaters that many people have advocated for many, many years and saw this train wreck coming, including the (coughs) National Defense Independent Panel a few years ago saying we are not resourcing our strategy. We could face exactly this moment. The Russians attacking in Europe, the Iranians attacking in the Middle East and the Chinese rattling their saber and using their force in East Asia. We have got to get on a war footing. We have got to get our defense production up to the place where we can actually get the things to Taiwan that we need to get. We need... Uh, who's
0: saying that? Donald Trump?
1: Nobody is saying nobody. that.
0: Well, as as but... That. So,
2: so Dan, just to take your argument, I understand that you and many others, and just because you've said it, have been arguing that for a long time. but. For 15 years, people have been saying we haven't been spending enough on defense, and perhaps they were right. But if you carry that forward, then right now we are not prepared, and we are manifestly not prepared. There's a fundamental insolvency between our strategy, the way we're actually acting, and the capabilities we have. And people who've been saying for 15 years that we haven't been spending enough, like the National Defense Panel, should they should be the ones most concerned about the scarcity problem. Whereas, like, instead, you, so you mentioned the two-war thing. We don't have a two-war. You know why we shifted off the two-war? Because we were going to lose the one big war. Another thing Churchill said is, you can fight two wars, gentlemen, or you can win one. And mm-hmm. we decided, under General Mattis uh, and President Trump, we said, we cannot lose the big fight. And that's what we're risking doing. So the administration is fundamentally irresponsible in the sense that the President of the United States gave his second Oval Office address and did not mention China, which is allegedly the priority. So, in a sense, you, I mean... We don't know if the Chinese have been behind what's going... Obviously, they've been supporting the Russians and what's happening in Iranians. Israel. And the Iranians. Okay. But clearly, cui bono, they are benefiting. And now the administration in the meeting at APAC, for instance, is, it, it, it reeks of an, a desperate attempt. In fact, administration officials were saying they don't want a crisis. So this is a, this is a perfect opportunity. But the thing is, if Republicans are going to be serious strategists... Look, if you're up on the Hill, if you're, if you're a congress, congressman in general, a lot of what you do is speeches uh, uh, you know, uh, in committee or you go on TV, but the buck stops with the executive branch. The President of the United States, Secretary of Defense, National Security Advisor. If Republicans catch the, do- catch the dog and we get into to power, not, I, mean, we, I mean, I don't know what happened to me, but just Republicans in general, we are going to face this fundamental discordance between where we are and where we would like to be. And the thing is, you can't solve that with defense spending. By the way, you, you can't know, solve you can't it. It's so going to take no, no It's, it's going to take, it take years. It's going to take years and years at best. Out, sure. There's fundamentally broken about our defense industrial base. So you have Republican members of the Senate saying, "Oh, we're better off after Ukraine." If you read the defense press, you'll see the ICBM is about to be delayed. We the, uh, Congress is authorizing two attack submarines a year, but we can only build 1.2 or 1.3. We're behind in missile production, etc. It's, it's going to take five, six years to rebuild simple things like. Uh, javelins and well, that's just, the reality. Let
1: me say one thing here. Okay, so imagine, imagine this scenario. You want to go protect Taiwan in case in case the Chinese escalate from this co- current coercion campaign to an invasion in the next few years. So you go to Europe and you tell them we're done funding uh, your y- Schultz. Yeah, sorry, well, we'll we're, we're out. We're out. We're out. We're, we're out. But but you know, can can you please be with us on this Taiwan issue, and also. Can well, the, you know, can you, the Japanese, stick with us? We promise on this one, stick with us.
0: We really mean it. If we, we really don't
1: mean the it. Europeans Imagine, sure we do. No, we don't. Yeah, uh, what do. they have. Well, to UK is in AUKUS, as you said, and and AUKUS uh, stands for the, A- the Australian Australia. Museum. Yeah, right. and and uh, <clears throat> and then and then we're going to want the Europeans uh, help with sanctioning China. we not going to work. We're gonna want going to want the European churches. help yeah. with with economic uh, uh, warfare. Uh, so we're going to need to, so, so the plan in this scenario is we go there. Then in the Middle East, as the Iranians are attacking us, what do we do? We pull out and say we're not going to actually defend our allies in the Middle East. We're pulling it all over to Taiwan. This time we're serious. Even though we left the Middle East under attack, What's the alternative? this time we're serious. What's the alternative? is. The alternative is to start is to start an emergency program of funding our defense. But you're not gonna solve this now, problem
2: for years at best. And by the way, right. people
1: have been arguing that <laughs> so, for
2: years and it ain't happening. The so, so, so now
1: has, is the time, it. because there are two wars going on, now is absolutely the time to get serious about this. Can I
0: ask you another?
1: We don't need I mean, the Europeans in Asia, and what's well, we so striking we need, is we need the Europeans on, the on two
2: economics, so sure. we cannot the two of you we can cannot... on the
0: same side and you're fighting two. Yeah, because it's but it gets
1: back to the
2: stakes versus what matters. Yes, there? yes, it's what matters, what matters yeah. and there's a clear logic that I'm making in my book that, that I, I, hawks of all people value the importance of military force. I mean, I've had like John Bolton, a member Set, he was kind of criticizing some of the arguments I made. He said military power is fungible. I'm sorry, you can't use a missile more than once; it's going to blow up. Right? Right? And so when we were, I mean, this is the level of discipline that American people are capable of. We were bombed on December 7th, 1941 by the Japanese, but the administration pursued a Europe-first strategy. And we were in a much better position economically, vis-a-vis the Axis, on our own. And we were allied with the British Empire and the Soviet Union. Joseph Stalin, one of the three worst leaders probably to ever live. And people are saying we can't. No, we look. The Israelis
1: actually want to pull fight. out of the Middle East right now when we're, when we're being attacked by the well, Iranians. What's the alternative? The alternative we cannot is we cannot tell the, the we freedom. cannot. Well, the alternative is defeat. Is the a, the alternative is defeating right. Asia. If you think if you think we're going to war tomorrow, if you think we right. still have so time to turn.
2: But if you're China and you're listening to Dan Blumenthal, you're saying. I got my
1: window. If you're China and you're listening to, to, to Dan Blumenthal, then you're, smart you're, you're certainly not <laughs> yeah. saying you have your window because I've been arguing about this. For well, no, no, years. no. This <laughs> is, this is, but this is one last yeah. point. Saying and also you, maybe you've been right, Dan, but
2: that hasn't been the policy that we've pursued for the last 15 years. Yeah. So we have to deal with the reality okay, now. So the reality
1: there. right now is we have to stop Chinese interference and coercion of Taiwan, the Philippines, and Japan. That's the reality we face right, right now, now, today.
0: Okay, so I'm trying to get to... Who's responsible for doing this? You see it. You see what needs to be done. You write about it. This is immensely valuable, but it has to happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm now just, a few questions if I may. I'm stumbling along here, but where does the traction take place? Let me quote you, Bridge. You, you have the wonderful passage about in Strategy of Denial about peace is something that isn't automatic. It's an achievement. I'm quoting you now. Peace comes only from a willingness to consider what a war would actually be like. For the armed forces, this means a warlike temperament and professionalism." Close quote. Well, the Navy's down to 290 ships. Army, Air Force, Navy, Marine Corps. Last year, only the Marine Corps met its recruiting target. The Army missed its target for the 10th time in 10 years. And at this moment of danger, Ukraine, Israel, the Pacific, the United States Army is 10% below full strength. Why aren't there officers over at the Pentagon saying, Congressman, Mr. President, this has to happen. And unless the budget is so-and-so, I will resign. resign. I will yeah. resign mm-hmm. and 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 give press. Con- I will resign and run for office. Yeah. I will, those are the guys who are right there in harm's way, who know what's needed, know it's been underfunded year in and year out. They can't even hit their recruiting targets. Why isn't somebody from over in that, that five-sided building standing up and saying, enough?
1: It's, an, it's a source of enormous frustration. And, and I will... and They I, do
0: know what's going
1: on. Oh, you? yeah, yeah. I will add to that that the North Koreans talk about surprise, right, in terms of... Uh, Hamas and Israel and Hamas not being, and people thinking that uh, uh, Hamas was contained and so forth. The North Korean situation is not uh, exactly quiet. We have a lot of forces in South Korea there to deter uh, North Korean aggression. Uh, They're due for some kind of provocation. It is uh, a terrible indictment of of U.S. political leadership. Uh, It is a terrible indictment, Uh, you know, military officers having to satisfy us with what they have. Uh, but we are in a very dangerous situation. So, yeah,
2: because I think this is really important and it actually explains a lot of... You I
0: guys both worked at defense. You yeah, but
2: know. so so in a sense, when I worked at defense, we actually did the strategy. I mean, Mattis right. signed off on a strategy that said China's a priority, <coughs> we're moving to one more force planning construct, you know, with little bells and whistles. But so, so like, on paper, it's been solved. So what is the problem? So partially I wrote the book to say, we need to convince a much larger group within the defense establishment, but also politically, of, of the reality of the problem and how to deal with it. And a lot of, you mentioned that I'm all over Twitter and wherever I can get heard, why? Because the hour is so late and the problem is so urgent. And what I'm trying to go after is, I think this residual, but but very strong, I think it's essentially a hubris. I mean, if you really listen to what we're saying- Hubris and you,
0: is a fancy word, is it just laziness? No, is it complacency? No, I, don't think it's,
2: I, I think people don't actually think the Chinese are as formidable a threat. You see it on I both see. sides. All right. All right. President Biden, when he's unscripted, like at political press uh, fundraisers, he will say very dismissive things about the Chinese. You also hear similar things. Oh, we have the best military in the world. We can handle this. We're America. No, we could actually lose. Our defense industry is in terrible shape. The military situation is in terrible shape. So fundamentally, this has to be politicians. And one of the reasons I go after the trade-offs is I think the, re- the, 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 f- the beginning of wisdom is going to be the recognition that we can't do it all. Maybe in theory we could if we pursued a different approach. And then the no, military it takes you know. its cues. The senior military, there's a lot of careerism. I think it is an indictment right. of some of the senior leaders that they haven't gone out and said, and I think it, they, they could live to really rue it if, if bad things happen. They know we're
0: not prepared. They know it. Well, when you say, we can't do it all, you mean we need to rely more on our, our allies, well, that's the, in that's Well, that's
2: my, that's my okay. logic, is not to abandon Europe. Oh, but to say, yeah, look, yeah, you step up.
1: Yeah, no, that'd be terrific if, if, if we could rely more on our allies. I mean, since I've been in this town, we've been saying that. You know, the Japanese are finally moving in the right direction, you know, and that's taken 20 okay, some so, odd years. Okay, so can I,
0: can I, I'm reaching for historical parallels now because the two of you have me good and rattled. <laughs> and you mentioned one, 1941, we get bombed in Pearl Harbor. I can't you you'll remember the figures but but the our army is minuscule we yeah. have essentially yeah. no manufacturing base for no, we it's have very huge, very tiny huge manufacturing base no civilian. no but not right. civilian but civilian
2: easily converted yeah.
0: but we turn it all over the country be, moves to a wartime footing and it and 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 it becomes the, the phrase the arsenal of democracy right. is true the tens of thousands of planes we produce the tanks the ships whereas over in Oakland they were producing a ship a day in the Kaiser shipyards. So it can be done, but the, the record, or let's see, what, what are other parallels here? The other parallels would be Harry Truman at the beginning of the Cold War. He supposes the Soviets are our allies. He supposes FDR was right about them. He has to realize the Soviets are up to no we good. are down a lot. That's right. And the Reagan buildup. And then the Reagan build-up. Yeah. So the Reagan so, buildup.
1: we really thought that we could lose to the Soviets Uh, at the end of the 70s by the late 80s uh, we didn't think that anymore so
0: there are moments when this when the nation and this town stand up up. sobers up and pulls itself together i mean you have to go
2: back to find a real example you have to go back a long time because 1941 we had the world's largest industrial base and we had the british and the soviets fighting now the chinese have the world's largest industrial base and we're tied down in other theaters. So you have to go back, I mean, Lincoln so, so avoided a second the war with the British. I would say the 70s would be a good example. I think the 70s is because, probably the best example. Because you also, so,
1: have, you also have the Soviets on the march in right. Afghanistan, the That's Soviets right. on the march in, in Latin America. <clears throat> uh, we had a president who made the arguments about why we needed to, to raise defense spending, about why we needed to take a more aggressive but economic, so the solution political... was in
0: the first instance political. Yes, Ronald Reagan yes. got elected.
1: He made the argument. But he also didn't commit American forces, all of you. He he made the argument beforehand and he committed America to a global fight against communism.
0: Okay, so (laughs) look look over the political landscape as we uh, approach a presidential election in 2024. Who's up to it? Do you see anybody?
1: Um, I think... Can Donald Trump
0: be briefed? Can he be Can he be brought around to this view to understand it in detail? Well, we I mean, it? the
1: strategy, the,
2: the whole shift on China happened. Donald under President Trump, Trump.
0: Trump is not going to read this whole well, book. I don't know if President George. Trump has
2: written my book, but I think George. the side that, you know, President Trump, Governor DeSantis, that kind of approach, There, there is a recognition that China is the top challenge and that we cannot and should not be Frittering our resources away. I think the other side of the argument within the well,
1: is the I think under Donald Trump, obviously we went after Iran in a big way. So it wasn't, you know, we, we the world, you know, the world has a way of intruding upon your, your your greatest plans. We did not build up our defense to meet the the China threat. Uh, we did a lot to support the Ukraine under Donald Trump. Uh, he actually, despite all the strum and drum, he gave the Ukrainians a lot of what they needed and, and, and had so. Uh, the world has a way of 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 you know so you you, you have your constructs and then the world has a way. No, you have events. To, no, you events have, to, no, have, have, have to, a, events have a way of intruding. No, but you don't let it. You So you have, to be, so you have to be. But that's not what happened. You that did, is the key. But, but no, no, no. no, no but the let key let thing it. is 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 that over and over again we're called back. We say we're going to pull out of the Middle East. We get a bloody nose. We get back into the Middle East. But that's victory after a while. After a while. After after a while, you have to say to yourself, well, maybe we have a vital interest in the Middle East and let's, let's fund it and resource it correctly. We're, but again, the height of, of the lack of discipline, of irrationality would be the idea that you're going to tell all these allies around the world that you're pulling out everywhere else, but you're going to go defend <coughs> Taiwan.
0: Last couple of questions. So do you both feel, is it as simple as this? If the Republicans, if the Republicans get in in 2024, this will get addressed?
1: Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think uh, Nikki Haley probably has the closest thing to a a realistic view of a global policy you need in a world at war right now. Oh, you do? Well, well, yeah. Do you well, have I a mean, favorite
2: candidate, at least? Well, I'm not, I haven't said anything about. This. I don't, don't have, have a favorite anything. candidate. Is I said. I, I, Hold,
0: oh, so I, I don't
1: want to be president.
0: Yeah. So, is Anthony Blinken alive to all of this? Is he doing what he not can? Not to the resourcing of,
1: of defense.
0: No, and not Lloyd Anthony's Austin, Secretary of Defense not Austin. Not to the
1: resourcing of defense, as as you as you mentioned, they ha, they have taken on uh, increasing commitments without addressing the arsenal of democracy problem without taking on the military posture problem.
2: Look, I think the, the main thing, I mean, uh, I try to, not to get into the personalities of the politics too much, but I mean, there's others like you who are much better equipped. My point is we no, have but to me, find me, somebody yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To, right? but, but I think the case can be made. <coughs> the, the key thing that is like, we have to live in the world of reality. So if like, if, if sen- with all respect, I if Senator not... Lindsey Graham right. were elected president, he would not be p- able to policy. That's not the, the world of reality. The, p- pursue the policy. <laughs> Too Pursue the policy that he would actually want to advocate, because, what, because if you we don't have the tools, we right don't now. have the tools. We, the, the, I mean, both leading presidential candidates have said they don't want to cut Social Security. I, you know, we can argue about. I don't. I'm not equipped enough to go into the details of all that, but. There are strong political constraints. We're paying at interest rates at much higher levels than there were in the 1970s. We're dealing with a different country, the economic growth, the demographics are lower, et cetera. So like any Republican who gets elected is going to be dealing with a situation in which there is going to be a choice. It's going to be, and, and I think, Dan, it's, it's stirring, you know, but if you allow events to happen, my, no, no, no. But this we did respond. We, but
1: what I said is, we did. The reality is that yeah, but that in the Trump administration, after writing the national defense strategy, Well, I wasn't in control of the we, we, we did. It I was mean, not well implemented. But, so don't be wrong. No, but what I'm saying is, that is the reality. We have to be realistic. Iran well, is reality, going to attack. We we can decide you can all lose we want. War in we, we, if you want. Of course, we can. Oh, and okay. We, so. And you know, but what I'm saying is, I don't is, want to lose the war. But yeah. either do I. But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, you can you can say we're disciplined, and you can say we're pulling out of. We're not going to fund the Ukraine. We're pulling out of the Middle East. The Iranians will still have a vote. In terms of where they choose to okay, attack us, but the and where consequences still... of it are so, so the are much reality, lower than the actual, the actual reality is that if events intrude all the time, and what you're dealing with is the National Security Advisor mm-hmm. and the President is a host of events that you have to. Well, that's just being that's just being a slave to events. No, it's not being a slave to events. It's, it's, just, it's the it's fact that you know you you anticipate the fact that these events are going to intrude in the Middle East, in Europe, and in Asia, and you're going to respond. That's to That's how we lose. That's been the history for the last seven years. We can so, do better than
0: that. so you're saying we don't have time.
1: In fact, we did do
0: better than
2: that under President Reagan, under President Nixon. We focused on the main theater. Yeah. We didn't get involved. President Reagan did troops to Central President Reagan, Maybe President, Reagan Pres-
1: President, Reagan. President Reagan took on communists from Latin America to Afghanistan. President Reagan had a global strategy against communism. I mean, the
2: military buildup was o- overwhelmingly about Europe. The The, the, buildup the strategy the States, was or... to
1: subvert communism wherever. Sure, it we can found subvert itself. all we want, but the key thing is you got to have the plus barrier. Plus 600
0: ships in the navy. Yeah. Plus yeah.
1: The other thing—that's thing very, of course—and we're—and I am completely for 600 ships in the navy. The other thing that we have to address is the fact that the Chinese economy is in a lot of trouble, and we ought to have a, a proactive strategy that takes advantage of that is very dependent on a lot of different countries. Uh, What Ronald Reagan would do is take a look also at the vulnerabilities of China and start to really press on them. And press on them hard and have confidence that if we have a comprehensive strategy that absolutely builds the hard power but also challenges challenges them all over the world well the only
2: thing about that is you don't want to do that from a position of weakness because then you end up in 1941 which is kind of what we're doing so
0: here so the question i have is Mm -hmm. so you guys look over the field in 2024 and you say Mm -hmm. i'm not sure uh well it's not the personality so much as it is the political reality have we lost taiwan already
2: I am increasingly worried that it is going to be very, very difficult. I still think it's worth it. Neil Ferguson
0: said the other day ne- that that, Neil, that, 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 a, that the Chinese could blockade Taiwan as early as January. I don't agree. That is weeks from today. So, so
2: Eli Ratner has said, and I agree with Eli, I have a lot of respect for him, um, that the Chinese would be unlikely to pursue a blockade. I go into the book, I think a direct invasion You say they is have to con- control because, territory. If I could finish, one of the things I really respect about Neil... Yes, many things, um, and I disagree with him, is that Neil is grappling with reality. He's saying we're in a parlous position, our military situation is bad, we need to pursue detente in the near term. I think we should pursue detente from a position of strength, but I, it's so important that someone like Neil is grappling with the reality of the situation. The problem is is that the Taiwanese are not doing anywhere near what is necessary <clears> to have an effective defense. Dan makes an important point about the U.S. role being central, but actually the Taiwanese own role. It's not just a fairness point. Militarily, they have to fight hard and capably,
1: and they're not doing that. So the fight is right now. They, the Chinese actually do uh, oftentimes uh, blockade Taiwan and then stop and pull back. Oh, is that so? Yeah, absolutely. They did so after uh, after Nancy Pelosi's visit in, in August of 2022. This isn't some abstract you know, one day they're going to invade. They are using their military every day to intimidate, <laughs> to undermine, to erode. Has Taiwan given up? They, they had, they, uh-huh. they, n- n- not yet. But we ain't seen nothing yet. And oh, the guess. South, the uh, the South China Sea is a perfect example of how the Chinese do this: chop piece by piece, and the, and now they control the South China Sea. Yeah, but
2: you can do that with a, an uninhabited <laughs> islet I, versus. Uh, a... Yeah.
1: these are
0: some very powerful countries. I have the exactly south China two sea. more questions because we've we've gone. We've gone long because I'm indulging myself. I'm having fun. (laughs) I'm having, this is a very strange kind of fun because you're rattling me and upsetting me, but it's still, listening to the two of you is fun. Um, So, Hong Kong, mainland China, moves into Hong Kong and suppresses all its freedoms. I'm not giving you the detailed version here, but they move, they take over Hong Kong, they suppress Hong Kong. And as far as I can tell, of the rich business class in Hong Kong, Two object, Jimmy Lai, who's in prison, <laughs> and Martin Lee, who's got some kind of suspended sentence. There are a lot of rich men in Hong Kong, and only two spoke up. So I am thinking to myself, when a push comes to shove in Taiwan, the business class in Taiwan will say, we'd better do a in deal. America too, we'd better do a deal. Does that strike you as plausible?
1: I think Bridges' point about an America too is very important. So the, the, the Chinese campaign, and they have a comprehensive campaign that they're undertaking now when it comes to Taiwan is to create rifts in the elite in the United States about who is for defending Taiwan and who wants to do deals with China to create rifts in Taiwan most importantly they're changing the political narrative on Taiwan fundamentally so the debate used to be about unification versus uh, versus independence in Taiwan what they've changed they said Essentially, if you vote for this party, the Democratic Progressive Party, you're voting for a war. So they're changing the political narrative to be one of war and peace. And that's more favorable narrative ground for the Chinese. Because if you're Taiwan, you say, of course I want independence, but I don't want war. I don't want war. That's so nice
2: precursor. Right? Predicate. So, so,
1: predicate. So, so that's the game that they're playing. That's the information space that they're operating in in Taiwan. That's what the Taiwanese are trying to fight back against and say, look, if you vote for us, for the Democratic Progressive Party, there's not going to be a war. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not an automatic thing.
0: Okay, boys. Last question. George Kennan, at the beginning of the Cold War, quote, The decision between the USSR and the United States, the decision will really fall in large measure in this country itself. The issue of Soviet-American relations is in essence a test of the overall worth of the United States as a nation among nations. To avoid destruction, the United States need only measure up to its own best traditions and prove itself worthy of preservation as a great nation, close quote. Is something like that analysis applicable now? That the question between us and China is likely overwhelmingly to be decided here. That if this nation does pull itself together, we can stand up against China. You 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 would go for that? Yeah. Yes. You would go for that. Yep. So yep. we do we do possess the moral, the economic reserves yes. to sustain this conflict. Yes.
1: Yes, we are a we are far, far wealthier country than China. We have not used our wealth well. We haven't translated it into power, but we're far wealthier than China. Um, we, are, uh, we have an allied system second to none. Uh, we uh, have uh, a military that if we get our act together in the next few years is second to none. Uh, it will be decided here. The Chinese have made enormous, enormous mistakes from COVID zero uh, and what happened after that to millions of excess deaths in an economy that's suffering, to a whole lot of people that just cannot stand the Chinese Communist Party. And fundamentally, the policy, they don't want detente. We will never get detente with the Chinese Communist Party. They do not want detente with the United States. They believe taunt is a Trojan horse for us changing them. Fundamentally, we have to ally ourselves.
0: Because we did defeat the Soviets. Exactly.
1: they do. They, we will never get a detente. They want instability. They want to keep us on our toes uh, and, and so forth. We have to fundamentally ally ourselves with the Chinese people over time who do not want the rule of the Chinese Communist
0: Party. So yeah. are you hopeful? The United States need only measure up to its own best traditions and prove itself worthy. Are you hopeful?
2: Um, Hopeful might be a little strong. I'm cautiously thinking... You just it, cheered we, me
0: up and now here you I, go. But I
2: think what's important here, Peter, is the way to get people, we're in a different world than we were in 1947. Sure. I mean, this is following the Great you know, the War, which had, by the way, destroyed you know, the British Empire, eventually, the French, all these uh, big societies. Obviously, we'd had a different experience, very costly, but not relatively so. I think today, the mindset is a different one, and it's even a different one than when Ronald Reagan came in. Mindset in this country? In this country. And, and, and there's a little bit of, of and Kennan is not always like this, but in, in this context, that Kennan is this sort of mystic chords of memory, that, yes, it's, that yes. it's kind of a just summon the willpower. I, <laughs> I think this is a, how a lot of sort of, you could say, traditional Republican politicians talk. And I don't think this is landing. And I think there's a reason. And I think that those of us, you know, I'm a strategist or whatever you want to call it, so it's not my place. But for the politicians who, who want to make this case, I think they need to grapple and accept with. Speaker Johnson said, we are in an extraordinary crisis, not only in the world, but in terms of our spending. You know, I know Paul, Paul Chagot, for whom I have a lot of respect, and the Wall Street Journal op-ed page said, the increasing defense spending is easy. Well, not
0: really, apparently. When Reagan took off his uh, debt as a proportion of GDP was 30%, and today it's 120%.
2: Yeah, so, so I think, you know, so much of what I'm doing, I, I mean, what I'm saying is, is, I believe, but I'm also showing, trying to show people that I'm not just saying, hey, we should just like triple defense budget and give a whole bunch of money to one of the right. Lockheed right. Martin, no, nothing against them particularly, but like, you know, that this isn't sort of a, and I'm not suggesting that Dan is, but, but like, look, we have made mistakes. We need to be more careful. We need to be, we need to be responsible with your trust and your money. And I mean, look, I, mean, then I always like to make this point on Fox News, if you watch it, I think the number one ad is the Wounded Warriors Project, the people right. who suffered. Now, we're not directly involved in Ukraine, but it's been over $100 billion. That's a lot of money. You know, and people are sick, and so I worry about Taiwan because, I, you know, a lot of people say, well, Bridge, you're going to be cottoning with the isolationists, and I don't think that's a fair term, but it's like, look, we, we have to look at young conservatives, the, many of the people who watch your show, the George W. Bush, kind of Mike Pence approach, the freedom agenda is like, what I a, understand is like a term of mockery in a program, and I, whether, we, whether we agree with that or not. And that? I think, and I think that we have well, to, we have not to not grapple with that. To do
1: with what we're no, talking
2: no, about. politically, because yeah. this is a political yeah. question about yeah. American will. Is that the way to solve this?
1: Is not moral. We have to defeat our enemies. I think. Well, we have yeah. to defeat our adversaries.
0: We, in a lot I don't of these, lot of these cases, we, I don't think we, we fought is. long wars and didn't win. Vivek Ramaswamy said in one of the debates to Mike Pence, it's not, not, not morning again. Again. again in America. It's not yeah. on TV. I think a dark moment. right. But this is a dark moment. It he, a dark he moment. He's not wrong he about he that. It is yeah.
1: a dark, dark moment. And Ronald Reagan didn't always talk that way in 1979. And we have been in dark moments before. Morning again in
0: America was his re-election. His re Things had turned. That was
2: not the strikes
1: America. Ronald Reagan made the sustained argument for what we needed to do to defeat communism. And nobody's making the same argument for what we need to do to defeat this axis of, of Russia, China, and, land, and, and honestly, Iran. I really well, I, well, neither of us are politicians. It hasn't been tried, so. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, it has been tried. <laughs> Vice President Pence tried it. Well, he, he has been tried by a president to say, this is what we actually need to defeat these, these, these threats that we're actually fighting today.
0: Gentlemen, thank you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I tried three or four times in a row to tie this one up neatly, and you two just will not have it. <laughs> right. Dan Blumenthal, author of The China Nightmare, and Elbridge Colby, author of Strategy of Denial. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. And thank you, Elbridge. Thank you. Thanks. For Uncommon Knowledge, The Hoover Institution, and Fox Nation, I'm Peter Robinson.